we are really good at quick changeovers. So uh, quick turnarounds, smaller run sizes. So for entrepreneurs starting out, which are not going to be wanting to run 50,000 units of anything, they'd want to run a thousand units if they can. Um, they're more likely to find facilities in Canada that are willing to do these small, small, small runs. In addition, you're you know, listening got- to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, I sit down with Canadian cosmetics industry expert Linda Stevenson to get an education on Ontario's cosmetics industry, its role in Ontario's advanced manufacturing ecosystem, and the similarities between it and several other industries we've discussed on this podcast. I learned a lot. I didn't know that A, there was so much cosmetics manufacturing in Ontario, B, how well-respected Ontario is internationally as a global cosmetics hub, and C, how similar cosmetics manufacturing is to all other manufacturing industries. Back when we interviewed John Romano from Nickelbrook, I was still relatively new to Trillium, to the ecosystem, to the norms of Ontario's advanced manufacturing industry, and, well, the ecosystem as a whole. When I learned about his challenges and the challenges of his industry, I thought, wow, this is an interesting parallel. They're just like everyone else. Scale versus small run, co-packing, supply chain issues. And now, after my chat with Linda, I see that these similarities are quite normal. We've discussed this before on this podcast, how manufacturers love Ontario for smaller batch manufacturing runs. Well, turns out the cosmetics industry is no different. However, one difference that being good at small batch cosmetics manufacturing provides is room for smaller startup cosmetics manufacturers to get a footing in the industry. As Linda puts it, quote, there's really quite an entrepreneurial spirit here, end quote. We discussed that spirit in the context of Mac and Estee Lauder. It's an interesting discussion. Please see the timestamp below. Without giving too much away, Ontario and Mac had a massive impact on the global cosmetics industry. Anyway, here's Linda Stevenson and cosmetics and how they are being made in Ontario. Linda Stevenson, hello. Hello. Nice to uh, nice to have you again. Nice to chat with you again. Um, Linda, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm a chemist, a microbiologist, and a botanist by profession, and I've been in the beauty care, uh, personal care industry for most of my working life. So working in product development, tech- technical side, as well as in product development and product commercialization, everywhere from testing protocols to uh, niche development to uh, product development to uh, commercializing and scale up for different uh, cosmetic products. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. And we're also being joined by Natasha Bartlett. Hello, Natasha. Hi, Nick. Natasha is the newest addition to the Trillium team. Tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. I joined Trillium this month as program manager. My background is in manufacturing, um, mostly Ontario food beverages, and I do have some experience in cosmetics as well. Wonderful. So, Natasha, Linda, today, the both of you are going to be educating me on cosmetics. When I, when people think of cosmetics, the first thing they think of is the, the immediate sort of makeup. Oh, yeah, makeup, eyeliner and lipsticks. But it does touch on other products that you wouldn't know that most people wouldn't normally think of as a cosmetic product. Can you expand on that just a little bit? 
Well, I mean, they're, they're different categories. Most people don't realize we call it the personal care industry, essentially, because it covers things like your, you know, mouthwash, hair wash, liquid uh, soap that you use to wash your hands. That's all under that sort of personal care category. So it covers a lot more. You, you probably engage in a lot more of these products than you realize. Your antiperspirant, your aftershave, your shaving cream that you use, the razors that you buy, your shampoo, your hand washing that you're doing, that everyone's doing now, like <laughs> repeatedly, um, bar soaps, all of those dishwashing detergent, like all of that stuff is kind of lumped into the same kind of category. Now, at the risk of sounding very simplistic and almost naive, I mean, makeup, cosmetics, th these are old things, right? Like you, if you go back and look at the hieroglyphics in Egypt, you could probably see the pharaohs and the servants wearing makeup. Um, makeup is not a new, it's not a new thing, is it? No, I mean, just facial adornment, whether you're talking about tattoos, whether you're talking about uh, covering with, with smudging, with, with, you know, substances from, from trees and from the coal for charcoal for eyeliner that ha has existed since, uh, since the beginning of time. And just to mark yourself in some way has been very tribal and, and goes back in history for thousands of years. So it's, it's not nothing new. We've just, you know, evolved it a little bit in terms of the application. And, and certainly we've gotten more sophisticated in, in, in the actual types of applicators and the types of products that we're using. I think one thing that we have spent a lot more time thinking about is clean cosmetics. So there were things that were used a long time ago that were actually quite toxic. I mean, people used to dye their clothes in arsenic, like they used to dye fabrics in arsenic and people would get sick from their clothes and different types of lead found in, in, in different, because they were vibrant colors. They were not necessarily good for you. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Wow. So that, see that that's the thing that always kind of like, it's always been a bit of a blind spot for me because I understand that, and I will use the term cosmetics and all of the things that they're in, you're putting these products on your skin, on your largest and arguably most important organ. Mm -hmm. So modern day cosmetics, I assume, is obviously a very different thing, concept, whatever you want to call it, than what it was historically. In, in preparation for this podcast, one of the things that came up was uh, SPFs. Mm -hmm. Now, what can you tell us about those? Well, sun protection factor is what SPF stands for, and it's, it's a way to... Um, it's a factor, meaning it's a mathematical term in essence, so that if you have an SPF of 10, it basically means that you would protect your skin from being uh, turning or burning um, 10 times as long than it would take you to normally burn without anything on, on your skin. So if you, go, if you go pink in 10 minutes, you would have 10 times 10, which means you would go pink in 100 minutes with that SPF. Um, these are used to be physical barriers like your titanium dioxides and your zinc oxides, which are just on the surface, like chalk, basically on, on the surface to block out the sun's rays. But then they got into chemical sunscreens, which are like your oxymethoxycinamates, your oxybenzones. Those are chemical sunscreens that effectively block UVA and UVB rays from burning you. So let's bring this down to Ontario here, um, because it sounds like I would, and, and, and again, in, in doing the research for this, uh, I realized that there are a few players in cosmetics in Ontario. And it, 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 would it be fair to say that Ontario uh, swings a, a pretty big lip liner in this sector? <laughs> well, 
why you're using our you're using our language now um i'm trying (laughs) ontario is really uh well canada in general is well known for uh high expertise in this in this area because um the factories here in Canada, and there are two types. There are those that are run by actual brands that have their own facilities here in, in Canada and Ontario. See, that right there, what you just said, I think that would be news to a lot of people. The fact that Canada and Ontario has this, it's a global clout, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think most people would have known that. Well, we what's beneficial about Canada is a few things. One is we have a highly respected and technically savvy uh uh, employment uh, opportunities. So, so people, we're, we're highly skilled people here. The, the second thing is that we are really good at quick changeovers. So uh, quick turnarounds, smaller run sizes. So for entrepreneurs starting out, which are not going to be wanting to run 50,000 units of anything, they'd want to run a thousand units if they can. Um, they're more likely to find facilities in Canada that are willing to do these small, small, small runs. In addition, you know, we've got the language. English is easy to understand. We're in the, the same time zones as uh, you know, the United States. So we offer, and again, also with our dollar being, you know, 75 cents to the U.S. dollar, we're, we're also uh, very attractive to the American uh, consumer and to the American company. So there are many facilities that either have their own space here that they run for their own particular brand or they use subcontract manufacturers, which are more turnkey. So that can provide someone starting out with the purchasing ability to get components, purchase the raw materials, uh, and to develop the products here in Canada. So who are some of the big players in Ontario here? Well, for uh, companies that have their own manufacturing, Estee Lauder has a number of facilities here, um, which they work on a number of their brands. Decium has their own facilities here. Uh, then you have uh, contract manufacturers such as Cosmetica, uh, Crystal Clair. Um, you have CSR up in Barrie. You have Sense Alive, which is in Vaughan. You have a number of uh, Pinnacle uh, down by the lakeshore. So these are all custom houses that are able to provide uh, an entrepreneur some ready-made formulas or to have the opportunity to make their formulas if they've created them themselves. Interesting. Now, more of a preamble. The only thing I know about, the only thing I've known about cosmetics comes down to a I forget the movie but there was this one pickup line that this character in a movie used involved mac lipstick Mm -hmm. and he said uh, he walked up to a woman and he said oh are you wearing mac lipstick and she says no I'm not why are you an expert in uh, in in makeup and he says no but I'm an expert in women's lips so I was like okay so obviously mac (laughs) must be something interesting and mac there's a bit uh, I know there's a story about mac in Ontario, I don't know the. I, I started reading up about it, but can you tell us a little bit about um, the story of Mac in Ontario? Sure. Well, Mac was founded by two Canadians, and uh, they, uh, Frank Toskin and Frank Angelo. Um, they have. They actually started the brand. Uh, Frank Angelo had a series of hair salons, so they started with small things like hair products and small lipsticks. Frank Toskin uh, is was is a photographer and a fashion photographer, and he was frustrated with the, it was all these shiny lipsticks, and it was he wanted a different look. So his his brother in law uh, was in chemistry uh, at U of T and said, well, "I want to make a matte lipstick. Can we do that?" So they started creating the matte looking lipsticks, which quickly became uh, very popular with the the models when they were doing the photo shoots, and that kind of spread to New York. 
and then you got sort of the celebrity endorsements. I think uh, Madonna was one of the first who was completely crazy about the lipstick Russian red. So it was a very classic matte lipstick and no one else was doing it. Everybody had sparkle, 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 shine, shine, shine. They were the first ones to come up with, with this type of formula and this type of approach. And they also did something very cool as they were like, well, if we have a counter and they had their very first counter was in the Bay. They didn't want it to be a personnel from the store. They didn't want to have a Bay employee represent their brand. They wanted a makeup artist. So if you were to work at the counters of, of Mac to this day, you have to be a makeup artist because the idea was not just to sell you cosmetics, but to teach you how to use them. Uh, and they really felt that they were making professional grade uh, makeup. So the idea was that a professional would would help you do uh, figure out the look, how to use the eyeliner and teach you, not just sell it to you. Um, and so that became a unique thing in the industry, whereas they were Mac employees that were behind the counter and still are. They're not Nordstrom employees. They're not Bay employees. They are dedicated staff. So uh, that was what was new and different. And it just exploded. And when I was asked to join Mac, actually, I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I watched a counter and I was like, all these people were running up and they were writing their names on a list. And I was like, what, what's going on? And I'm just watching the counter. And I went up to the salesperson. I said, what, what's going on here? Why are people writing the name on a list? And they were like, oh, they're putting, is it a raffle or something that's going on? She's like, no, they're putting their names on a waiting list for a specific shade of lipstick that Tori Spelling had worn on Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it became crazy, like the certain shades that were endorsed. Though the movie that you referenced, I believe they would have paid for that product placement. But uh, uh, yeah, so it became very well received within the um, Hollywood makeup artists. It started really uh, using it on the people that were on set. And that's essentially how it got uh, word spread really, really quickly. Um, and then Estee Lauder came along and, and acquired them over time. So quickly, I'm just going to ask about COVID-19. Um, how did the manufacturing, like the technology used today, allow for any of the cosmetics suppliers to contribute anything to the um, COVID-19? Like, you know, a lot of manufacturers, some of them pivoted to making hand sanitizer or gowns or masks. Uh, did the makeup and cosmetics industry, were they, did they do any pivoting at all that you're aware of? Uh, the the couple things that were major pivots, first of all, online immediately versus department stores. Obviously, no one's going into stores. So everybody diverted all of their uh, efforts and energy to dot-com. That was the first business pivot. The second business pivot was that they placed less emphasis on new products in color cosmetics like lipsticks, because if you've got a mask, no one's looking at your lipstick, and did more product development in skincare. Um, which definitely was an issue. And, and we talk now about maskne, which is the acne. There's a very specific type of acne you get by wearing a mask all the time. It's almost like a heat rash. It's not really pimples. But so their products are already in the works about to calm that down. Personalization has also become a new thing um, that's becoming a really a big trend in the industry. And in fact, how can you personalize? So um, we touched on last time, or I think I wrote to you that, that AI is now very much these programs, which is enables you to register a customer's face, uh, take a picture and analyze, uh, you know, how much redness there is, is there uh, hyperpigmentation, is there dark circles, fine lines and wrinkles, and then be able to offer 
certain products based on facial recognition. So some companies were doing that in store, but now we're looking at developing apps that can actually be downloaded by a customer to do facial recognition and then try to link that into a database that enables you to determine which, which combination of products are right for you. Uh, I'm also working with a company called Pure Culture Beauty, and they look at the microbiome, which is another new talking point within our industry to actually take testing strips to test the pH and sebum levels of your skin in addition to answering a lot of personal questions. How much water do you drink? How much the different levels of questions are quite extreme. And then how, you know, what are your skin goals? Do you want to get rid of fine lines and wrinkles? Do you want to control your acne? Like what are your skin goals and what are your aspirational goals? I want firmness to my skin. So between the actual testing of the state of your skin and putting in those data points along with actually where you live. So your zip code or postal code will say how much pollution that you experienced during the last few months, what pollution levels, what humidity, what temperatures are you, are you, where are you living in California and then everything's on fire. So how much soot is in the air from where you live is what your skin has been exposed to. And again, that whole machine then takes all these factors in consideration and outputs the products that we think are going to be best suited for your skin's needs. So you actually answered a few of my questions, a few (laughs) of the following questions, um, which is great. Cause I mean, when you're selling other products, like, you know, any, any other, you know, pick your product, you're often thinking about the consumer's tastes and preferences and this and that. But when it comes to cosmetics, I, w- I wasn't going to use the word microbiome because I, I'm not smart enough, but yeah, your microbiome, I would have said like your skin type, but that these are all things that you, that like, that need to be considered when selecting a, a cosmetic solution, right? Yeah, in, in, in previous times, it was either are you dry, are you combination, or are you oily? It was the, you know, the clinic envisioned that in 1968, I believe, that they came up with the three-step system of determining what kind of skin that you have. But now we're saying that that's not sophisticated enough. And, and I think also with the me generation of everything has to be personalized for, for me, um, and we are all different. So why do certain products work better for some people than for others? Uh, definitely the technology of trying to study the microbiome is something that's really kind of interesting and new. We've known about it for a while. And so that I think is where a lot of the newness is for skincare. Color cosmetics, it's more just, it's a fashion type of thing. Uh, We are very much linked to the fashion rotation, like whether, you know, is burnt orange going to be a fashionable color? So we got to have a burnt orange lipstick. So that's kind of how you, you decide it. Um, you know, every four years, it's the new nudes. It's always the new nudes. <laughs> so it, it, it goes in cycles. It's, it goes in fashion cycles. When, you know, where muted tones and shades are in for fashion, and then all of a sudden, you'll have a next year where it's brightly colored, jewel tones are everywhere, and then it goes back to gray and beige. So it, 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 it does a cycle. So let's go back a sec. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Mac Estee Lauder thing, because to me, knowing that a, a brand such as as lofty and as as weighty as Mac started in Canada and in Ontario, and then was and then ended up getting bought out. I mean, can you give us a little bit of a sense of what Mac was doing? Because you, you touched on it and it was great. And I want to learn a little bit more about what Mac was doing that was so different, and then what happened when they got purchased. Um, so Lauder, of course, was interested, and part of the reason why Mac joined forces with them was because they wanted to get into international distribution, and they just did not have the, bre- the breadth of experience with within the Toronto group, and they didn't have the contacts, they didn't have the factories, they didn't have the warehousing, 
Um, so they really uh, had only a minority share in the beginning, uh, Lauder did, to help them with international expansion. And that was part of the main reason for, for that marriage to happen. Hmm. Natasha, you've been awfully quiet this past little bit. I've, I've got, uh, I'm sure there's some questions that you probably wanted to ask her. I'm interested in Linda's perspective on what the advantages of manufacturing cosmetics in Ontario really are. Well, there definitely is. We're really good at short run sizes, quick turnarounds, fussy things, um, you know, all the smaller brands. So for instance, the, the lauder factories that are up here in Canada uh, handle all the different brands, but especially the smaller limited editions, because we have a, we're very mobile, very agile in terms of a manufacturing um, site. So oftentimes, you know, we could switch out machines, um, you know, do hand pack offs here, do, do work in progress over there. So we're really good at that type of work. So I know that the lauder brands, like the smaller brands, like Aveda and Tommy Hilfiger and those smaller um smaller brands or limited editions were often done in the Canadian facilities because we just did it faster, better. Um, and again, the, the fact that we all speak English and, and they're able to, to, it was, became seamless to have those kinds of projects come up to, to Ontario. Yeah. Ad additionally, so we spoke a little bit about bespoke cosmetics before and your experience in cosmetics, you've worked with a lot of different manufacturers. So I'm sure you've seen, um, say, more advancements than I. My advancements in cosmetics recently were very limited to looking at automated packaging and automated production and filling equipment. Um, what else in the industry have, have you had experience with, like working with manufacturers that kind of look at automating and uh, pushing forward to increase their, say, production outputs or distribution? Well, I think it's it's not only an issue of what is efficient output, but also when you're dealing with some of these new formulas. And as as you know, Natasha, we with with going vegan, um, though and clean, oftentimes it's it you you're dealing with uh, formulation systems that are a little bit more complicated. So you need to have much more control over temperature settings, over transfer losses, um, continuous mixing. So you need to have enclosed equipment. Um, things that are that are moderated and that, that can't fluctuate in temperature for more than a couple degrees up or down because it'll ruin the formula. So to have those things more automated and more sophisticated allows you to create formulas that are maybe would have been too difficult to do in the traditional vessels. Um, and we talked about this before. It's like when you go vegan and you take beeswax out of a lipstick, you ripped out its spine. So how do you hold it together? How do you give it the structure that, so now you're starting to talk with gel chemistry and you're talking about shocking systems into dropping temperatures dramatically within a very short period of time in order to shock the structure into, into effect and to keep it whole and not have it fall apart. So, and also different gel systems in which you're able to give more deliverables too. So how can you load, you can only load a formula so much or a base so much. So by playing with temperature, uh, you know, agitation, um, I mean, the moment homogenizers came into effect, that was life-changing in the cosmetics industry because all of a sudden you could make emulsions that used to be unstable, you could make them stable because you you whipped them up so, so fast that you forced them to stay together in an, in an altered state versus separating like a salad dressing. So these are the types of things that, that I've seen. But 
but also too, there are some traditional things that have never changed for hundreds of years, like traditional pencil making, like your cosmetic pencils. That's a wood clenched pencil, and that has been doing been created like that since the late 1800s. I mean, the, the, that technology hasn't changed, and I love seeing these old archaic machines, you know, from the 1940s that are still run and still used by pencil manufacturers. But then you also have those that are injection molded into plastic. Uh, 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 holders components that are injected like a lipstick uh, automated lipstick machine. So Linda, you've 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 touched on this a little bit, and I kind of want I'm, I'm hoping to expand a little bit on this as well. The products uh, oftentimes are old in the way that they've been conceived, the way they're made, but a lot of the technology that's used in making it can often be new. Can you think of and take this wherever you want? Can you think of some examples of an old product being made with new technology? Yeah, lipsticks would be the a great way to say that that has definitely evolved into these uh, giant automated machines. Uh, lipstick production used to be done in a very traditional way where you'd, you'd pour the, the, the wax, basically the colored wax, into a mold, into a traditional book mold, and you'd then release those and they would be hand removed and hand inserted into a, a cup holder and then wound down and then it would probably go through um, a flame to an actual Bunsen burner flame to give it a shininess to it. And then it would be sliced by a cutter at the end to give it that, that slant tip shape. Um, and that was a lot of hand involvement, hand, hand pouring of the mold, bullet molds. Now you have uh, huge automated lip, lipstick machines that actually have the kettle pour directly into wells, into silicone molds, and those go around a table and they're, they're cooled as they go around the table and they're automatically flipped into a component. So rather than having eight people on the line, you basically have two operators managing uh, or even one. So definitely that's been automated for sure. Can we talk a little bit about the green economy? Sure. Because when I think of, like you mentioned back in the 80s, the, the the cosmetics industry, well, certainly when Mac got in, they started to push the envelope on being progressive. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the issues that is, you know, I, I think this issue is here to stay until we solve it. And then that's the issue of, you know, climate change and uh, sustainable production, sustainable manufacturing. What's, and again, Ontario prides itself on being a region that does that particularly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda, what can you tell me about so about some of the green operations happening in cosmetics manufacturing in Ontario. I, I'm not specifically to Ontario, but I can say that definitely uh, Mac was one of the first that did their back to Mac program. Uh, that was in the early nineties in which you were bring back three packages of uh, empty packages of whatever. It could be an eyeshadow case. It could be a lipstick, whatever you brought back three, you got a free lipstick. So that was their back to Mac program. And then they would bring it to their collect it at the stores and bring it back to the, to the warehouse. And then they'd break it apart. And then we'd give it to the different recycling, recycling uh, companies that were existing at the time. Um, and so, but now actually what's new is uh, actually Victor Caselli, who is one of the co-founders of Pure Culture Beauty and who was uh, the chief chemist for Mac back in the day he has started PACT, P-A-C-T, which are these, these actual uh, huge bin containers that uh, are encouraging people to come and bring back their empty components uh, and just put in the bin. And again, the same thing, it'll get like sorted and cycled. And so th- there's definitely that movement there. Uh, there's also uh, movements to get into PCR, so post-consumer recycled 
to have that part of your packaging itself. Usually the cap on a, on a tube, for instance, can be a PCR. You can only uh, use PCR to a certain extent because it gets very brittle. Um, so you can't have you can't have tubes made of PCR because the structure is too rigid, but you can have the cap. Uh, so there's a definitely movement towards using more PCR and also sustainable um, plastics. So things that are made from sugarcane as opposed to your traditional PVCs um, that that are that theoretically are biodegradable and that come from a renewable source like sugarcane. Uh, paper always has been part of the idea to use uh, recycled paper wherever possible and to get away from the, the glossy, you know, high-end uh, metallic style packaging. Uh, definitely that's, that's a trend now um, to within the cosmetics industry for sure. And, and consumers are driving that actually. It's not just, it's not being pushed upon by the manufacturers, but consumers are re requiring that. Um, and uh, even some stores like Credo, for instance, their mandate is that your products have to be at least 50% recyclable or come from recycled like PCR to be able to be sold in their store. So that's, uh, that's sort of new in terms of the, the retailers are driving it, the consumers are driving it, and the, the industry is, is following suit. So that sounds like an, some some developments in terms of the packaging. Is and do, were there any cosmetics products that were like, oh, this is an expensive product because it's so environmentally damaging or something like that? Regulations started happening in the 1970s to these general categories. I, I mean, ultimately, back in the 50s, they started testing cosmetics to make sure that they were safe for use because they realized it was a little bit of a wild west happening of who was manufacturing different color cosmetics. But now it's pretty highly regulated and, you know, brands are not in the business of putting something on your skin that's going to be harmful to you. People always look to the cosmetics industry as saying, you know, well, are these harmful cosmetics? Um, but so it's a it's a pretty regulated thing. Now, you get into the natural space and that can be a little bit of, uh, you know, loving hands at home, like some of these very small, tiny brands that are maybe homemade uh, within a very small maybe in someone's house, like you could find in a, in a health food store, like th those can be a little sketchy because <laughs> hmm. they don't know what they don't know. Exactly. So you spoke a little bit about um, pure culture beauty. Is that manufactured in Ontario? It is. It is. It's manufactured um, a company called Sense Alive that, that do a lot of work in the organic space. So yeah, that's part of the reason they were open because they also make hand sanitizer. The One of the co-founders was familiar with this company and the fact it was in Ontario and that I'm in Ontario made me boots on the ground for this project. So essentially I'm you know running all of their operations here and working with them has been really delightful. And they, they're a smaller house, but they absolutely were able to provide this level of customization that we were needing and looking for for that particular customer. Um, and you know, in terms of COVID, I mean, what's good about the cosmetic industry, I mean, these, this is a, a completely ISO certified, GMP certified, FDA certified uh, plant. So the idea of uh, PPE and wearing it, that's their normal day. So they really didn't have to, to adjust in any way, shape or form, uh, except that everyone was wearing masks everywhere as opposed to just in the factory. So um, hairnets, lab coats, booties, um, gloves were always part of the normal thing. They might have spaced out people a little bit further on the on the line. So they're now standing six feet apart. 
on, on a conveyor belt, but that really wasn't a huge adjustment in thinking or operating from a daily basis. Uh, I had to, as a guest, fill out questionnaires every time I go there, but um, they were they were very cognizant of sanitary practices and and because that's the business that they're in. So I will never say just a lipstick again, <laughs> or just an eyeliner, Linda. This has been very enlightening for me. I, I would there's there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have uh, that I wouldn't have that I wouldn't have assumed about Ontario and the cosmetics industry, and. Linda, the point of this is was to you're basically educating an ocean of me's who know nothing of cosmetics manufacturing to be like, hey, cosmetics manufacturing, it's it's hyper relevant, really. Yeah. Okay, and I and I can safely say I am I will I I will I can be an ambassador for this sector. I will. I'm happy Lovely. to have Trillium uh, continue to advocate for it because there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And now that I've had this conversation, I might even think about maybe Trillium should launch its own makeup brand, right? I, I, I know people just, <laughs> just that's actually not that crazy an idea though. Now, is it? No, that's no. my takeaway from this conversation is that if Trillium, we're not going to, I don't think, but if we wanted to, we could launch our own makeup brand and we mm-hmm. could make it in Ontario. Yes. <laughs> make it I in Ontario. It. Call it Trillium brand. Absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, I have to say that there are a lot of, you know, uh, brands that started small in in Canada because there's a really quite an entrepreneurial spirit here, not just in Ontario, but but because we're able to, we we promote entrepreneurship here. A lot of the banks are able to give startup loans to entrepreneurs. Um, there's a, a really good entrepreneurial community here, like Mac started here, like Liz Watier, like it's like all these uh, companies. People are surprised when they find out it's Canadian. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of started here. That's Same fantastic. goes with actors. Yeah, <laughs> the Jim Carreys and the Ryan Reynolds and the Sandra O. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. This has been enlightening on multiple levels. <laughs> Linda, I wanted to thank you for joining us, and uh, Natasha, welcome to the team. Even though you've been here for a few weeks now, um, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. <laughs>